Hey, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, and we just want to welcome you. A couple of things I just want to mention to you. First of all, on this table right here, where we have this sweet new married couple right here. Wave, everybody. Wave at them. Yeah, there they are. Uh, they have bottles of water, so if you're, like, thirsty, I know for some, this weather is great. And others of us, we're like, I'm burning up. Uh, some of us have like an umbrella, I see, um, which surprises us. Same thing, we do something like that. But we also have we also have uh, not only water but gifts uh, for new guests. So if you're new to Riverbend, we'd love to give you a gift bag that's found on the table, as well as if you need a kids activity bag, we have that some chalk as well. So want to encourage you to uh, take advantage of those things. And then the other thing uh, that I wanted to mention to you, I'm so excited uh, this morning as I've come back. I was actually in Florida last week, so I got back Friday evening, which was fun. So if you're wondering why I'm a little tan, uh, that's why. Uh, But the other part of of my coming back was the excitement of having Matt Kay, who's part of our community and our church here, uh, to share. And he has such a gift. And and many of you know Matt Kay, but, uh, but Matt actually for a season was called to New York City, him and his bride, and they planted and helped plant and start a church there and worked with Crew, which is a college ministry. And then God called them back here. And they're working with Crew Church Movements, which focuses on helping the local church be about evangelism and discipleship. And so it's so exciting to have Matt come and share this morning as he had served previously on our teaching team. But we're so excited that he's here today to share the word. He's got something really, really important for us to hear. So let's give it up for Matt Kay. All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. It's good to be here. It's a hot day. Yeah. It's a very hot day. Uh, Sam, nice umbrella. Thank you. That's how I'm coping, Matt. Um, it's really good to be back. As Joe said, we were in New York for a time. We're back now. Um, it's been great because periodically we're just getting to check in and catch up with some of you that we've known from before or meet some of you that we've never met before. And um, yeah, we're just excited for what the Lord has in store uh, for all of us in the body of Christ as we're stepping into spring, stepping into summer, stepping into seeing a season of pandemic start to slow and die down. And probably in the midst of all that, wondering what's next. And so as we come to the scripture this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles or you have access to an online Bible, I want to invite you to open up the scriptures and keep the scriptures open as we'll keep referring back to the text throughout. Uh, but we're going to continue in this series uh, called Running Our Race. And uh, picking up from where Travis left off last week, this beautiful promise from Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man, what can anyone, what can people do to me? Jumping off of that, if you would read with me in verse 7, the author of the book of Hebrews goes on to say this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good to the heart for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which haven't benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar which those who serve at the tent 
have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Will you pray with me? Father, as we are gathered here this morning, we just get to acknowledge and thank you that we aren't gathered here, just us that we can see physically. We're gathered here with the saints and the angels. We're gathered here with the 24 elders that we hear about in the book of Revelation. We're gathered here around your throne to declare that you are holy and there's no one like you, that you're worthy and there's no one more worthy of all worship, all praise, all glory, and our very lives except you, Lord. So we thank you for purchasing us, Lord Jesus, with your own blood. Will you come and meet us here? Meet us in the depths of our need this morning. Meet us in the depths of our uncertainties this morning. Would you meet us in the ways that only you can, Lord, and get the glory that only you deserve? In Jesus' name, amen. From time to time, I'll take a minute to switch a page in my notes because it's windy and I got this like paperweight thing that's holding it down. I'd like to begin this morning. Um, I've been trying to read fiction more often because it's a discipline for me and it's one of those things that I love when I do it. But I've been trying to read novels and one of the novels that I've read last year that I really, really loved and enjoyed and uh, put me back in the world, in my world, in a much better way was this novel by C.S. Lewis called That Hideous Strength, a modern fairy tale for grown-ups. And I won't tell you all the details of the book, although I could talk about it for a very long time. But That Hideous Strength is the story of a husband and wife. And it's the story of a husband and wife who have had a very tense marriage and are moving in two very different directions. And so the tension is growing between them. And not only are they moving in two very different directions, but they're getting caught up in two very different communities. Jane is getting caught up in a community that are bound significantly by the bonds of deep friendship and a shared sense of cosmic purpose in the world. And everything she had built her life upon before meeting this community is starting to fall apart. She's literally losing her life in order that she might find a life that is truly life. And that's the story of Jane. Her husband, Mark, however, just got a job at an organization called the National Institute for Coordinated Experiments. It's an organization that has vague goals, vague purposes, but also really desires to appeal to your desire to belong on the inside of their organization. And Mark's greatest vice in it is that he desperately wants to be wanted and be in on the inside of this organization. So Mark Studdick is his name and he's gaining the world consistently and consistently losing his very soul as the book goes on and on and on. He wants to find himself in the center of the organization. He wants to keep getting into, as in the words of Hamilton might say, 
uh, the room where it happened. Mark wants to be there, desperately wanting to be wanted, having a seat at the cool table. Mark wants to blend in with the in crowd. But the scary part of Mark's story begins when he realizes that the organization that he's working for is downright evil. When he finds out that they've been responsible for the murder of innocent lives and they've been deeply involved in satanic practices, he increasingly starts to hate the very organization he's worked so hard to belong to. And now Mark wants out, but he's really, really scared. He's scared of standing out, scared of suffering the consequences of being arrested or killed for crossing the group, scared of bearing the open shame of what he himself helped to create. It's a really fantastic story, but it also speaks to a very real and deep tension between the desire to belong and the fear of suffering and shame. Will I choose to blend in or be accepted? Or will I choose to stand out and suffer the consequences, no matter what it costs me? And it's this tension between belonging and shame, being on the inside or on the outside, that brings you and I to this morning's text. So look with me in verse 7. In verse 7, the author of Hebrews starts off with, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A command like this begs the question, who were their leaders? What was the word that God spoke through them to the people that were receiving this letter? What would it look like to consider the outcome? What was the outcome of their lives? And what would it look like practically to imitate their faith? And here's the thing, what we know from the inside of this letter and from the church history that we know around it, their leaders were likely people who were on the front lines of being persecuted. People who were being beaten. People who were imprisoned and being put to death for the sake of the gospel. Martyrs who died for their faith. So to consider the outcome of their way of life was to consider the great, great price that these people were paying for the sake of following Jesus. To imitate them meant that you too would have to stand out and suffer in a world that was hostile to the gospel and to anyone who would publicly identify with Jesus. And so just to hear this very command brings to surface this very tension between belonging and shame, standing out and suffering or fitting into the crowd. And for these Hebrew Christians, it wasn't just any crowd that they were wrestling with. They were wrestling with, how do I live out this identity as a follower of Jesus? And then what is my place within my very own Jewish community? You see, to be part of the first century Jewish community, to be Hebrews, as this letter is called, already meant that you were part of a persecuted people. Jewish land was occupied by Rome. Jewish freedoms and restrictions were often dictated by Rome. And Jewish rebellions were constantly rising up against Rome. Whenever a rebellion against Rome sprung up, it was quickly beaten down strong by the emperor. Em emperor empire, sorry. Quickly beaten down strong by the empire, squashed out. Movement leaders were crucified publicly outside of city gates just to remind you, hey, by the way, you don't cross Rome, and if you cross Rome, we're going to cross you. Anybody here watch the television show The Chosen? Is there a couple people who might watch that show? Some of you might watch it, but the show really brings out this tension 
that the Jewish people, pe people feel under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And in one of the most recent episodes, Jesus and three of his disciples are walking to the city of Jerusalem. And just outside the city gate, they're watching as people are being publicly executed and crucified outside of the city gate. We will cast you out if you mess with us, Rome is basically saying. And we will publicly humiliate you and put you in a place of reproach and open shame. So to be Hebrew meant that you knew what persecution meant, what it felt like, what it looked like. But to be Hebrew Christians was to have two strikes against you. Not only was Rome against you, but some of the members, not all, but some of the members of your own Jewish community were against you as well. The early church was both under the thumb of Roman oppression and the threat of persecution from some of the early Jewish religious leaders. We know from the first few chapters of the book of Acts that early Jewish Christians were beaten, interrogated, hunted down, thrown in prison, and stoned to death. So to be a Hebrew Christian was to have two strikes against you. And now add the word Hebrew Christian, now add the word leader, and that's how many strikes against you? Three. You have three strikes against you because the waves of persecution always came crashing down on a movement's leaders first. The idea is if you can crucify the leader, the movement ends. This is why they crucified Jesus. Let's crucify the leader, the movement ends. And why did the movement never really end? Because something happened on the third day. You probably know exactly what that is. This is what they did. And so leaders were publicly humiliated and put to an open shame. And so the idea is take out the leaders, hopefully stop an entire movement. So that when people who followed a movement would remember their leaders. When they would consider the outcome of their way of life. They would say to themselves, my goodness, I would never want to imitate their faith. I would never want to die like Peter died. Like to be stoned like Stephen was stoned to death. To suffer exile like John suffered. I don't want to follow those leaders. I just want to keep it safe. And yet here, the author of the book of Hebrews is appealing to them in a very different direction. He's saying, look... Keep going and endure suffering for the sake of following Jesus. So when we heard, hear those words, remember, consider, imitate, we're talking about an invitation to stand out for the sake of Christ, no matter what it costs you. To imitate people who had likely been beaten and martyred for the sake of the gospel. And this morning's text is basically saying, follow people like that. Embrace the reproach and shame of following Jesus, no matter what it costs you, no matter where it takes you. Go ahead, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. But let's get real for a minute with our own emotions and how we respond emotionally and practically to a text like this. When persecution is hard, when the threats of safety and security are real, and when blending in with some crowd to save your own skin is a genuine option, giving up on following Jesus at that point, or at least concealing your identity as a Christian, can become very, very, very tempting. It's far safer to blend in and be an insider than to suffer the shame and reproach of being an outsider. I don't know how many of you might be people pleasers by nature, but for people who are people pleasers by nature, this is incredibly hard at times. In my 
own sinful nature in my general day-to-day, without Jesus, I would just be a total people-pleaser 24-7. When I'm not anchored deeply in the love that Christ has for me, I just want to do one thing. I want to get you and everybody else in the world to like me. But that's not our calling in Christ, is it? To get everybody to like us. No. And when I'm walking in the Spirit, I get to rest in the fact that I'm loved and liked by a Savior who loves me, gave himself for me, is never letting me go. Freeing me up to now care about you and stop caring about me. This is the grace of God and this is the the freedom that the gospel gives. And so if you're people pleasers by nature, this is incredibly hard. And then we in our country, we might not be able to relate to persecution and suffering like the kind we're talking about here. But there are layers of the temptation to fit in that you probably can deeply connect with this morning. And so here's a few questions to kind of locate that space within your heart. For you personally this morning, when are you the most tempted to blend in with the crowd and set aside your faithfulness to follow Jesus? When are those moments? When has something unethical happened in your presence and you passively let it pass by without standing up for what's right? When has the fear of being the odd person or the fear of being rejected by somebody caused you to act in ways that you later regretted? Or maybe when did you choose not to act in ways that later on you wished you had? When were the times that you neglected the things and the people you truly loved for the acceptance of someone else and someone else's favor you didn't truly need? And in what ways have you or maybe are presently suffering the pain of being an outsider, somebody who's cast out and not welcomed and accepted? You see, the author of Hebrews wants to meet us at that very point. And before encouraging us, warn us. The author of Hebrews wants to warn us at that very point where we're tempted to blend in with the crowd and set aside or conceal faithfulness to Jesus in any area of our lives that there's plenty of false teaching out there that will assist you in your downfall if you're willing to go in that direction. Look with me in verse 9. The author goes on to warn the church in verse 9. Don't be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The diverse and strange teachings here were related to Old Testament food laws, which for a time was one way that the people of Israel would demonstrate faith and faithfulness to God. The Old Testament food laws were kind of like an outward invisible sign, an outward invisible boundary that wrapped around the children of Israel so that you would see through this outward invisible sign a distinction that would point to their inward reality of faith and faithfulness to the true and living God. And so one of those restrictions and those boundaries for them was not eating things like pork or shellfish. And the other nations around them would see them and go, oh, whoa, those people don't eat meat. Those people don't eat bacon. They don't eat shrimp or crabs or those types of things. Why don't they? Why are they so distinct? Why do they put these restrictions around themselves? And they would be able to turn to the nations around them and talk about the Lord their God, who when they were in slavery in Egypt, delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, who's been so good to our people, who cast out nations before us and planted us in this promised land, who's never given up on his people, even when his people have given up on them. God has always, always, always been for us. 
And so the food laws set this outward and visible boundary that spoke to an inward and invisible reality of faith and faithfulness to the true and living God. It's kind of like a ring. You wear the outward invisible sign to point to this greater reality. But it's not a wedding ring, the Old Testament laws. The Old Testament laws were not a wedding ring. You're probably getting this from the book of Hebrews. The Old Testament food laws and all of the Old Testament Torah and law was an engagement ring. It's a ring that signifies exclusivity to the true and living God, but also points forward to an even greater fulfillment than the engagement. Does that make sense? An even greater and fuller fulfillment. And so we don't settle for the engagement when the marriage is at hand. We don't go back to the engagement when the marriage covenant has been fulfilled. And so this engagement ring of law pointed forward to an even greater fulfillment. Every sacrifice in the temple pointed forward to the greater sacrifice that Jesus would make for his children on the cross. Every priest in the temple pointed forward to the great high priest we have in Jesus, who's able to offer us help in our weaknesses and help us in ways that truly empower us to overcome sin because he died for us and because he lived the human life that we were meant to live, yet without sin. And every food law and outward restriction and boundary on the children of Israel were meant to point forward to the even greater boundary line of those who put their faith in Christ and what he's done in his death and his resurrection as the people who truly belong to the true and living God. Those boundaries pointed forward to the even greater boundary of being in Christ to be the true sons and daughters of the living God. And so the author of Hebrews is essentially saying, brothers, sisters, don't go back to the signposts when you've already reached the destination. Don't go back to the engagement when you've already been invited to the marriage. And don't try to fit in by eating the right food. Because exactly, that's exactly what the false teaching would do. Is you could hide the fact that you were a Christian by obeying the food laws of the other people around you. You don't have to embrace the true freedom you have in Jesus. And you don't have to embrace the shame. You can just hide it all and fit in with the crowd. The author of, of the book of Hebrews is saying, don't try to fit in by eating the right food. Don't settle for sitting in and at anyone's cool table and anyone who says they're on the inside when you already have been invited to the table of Jesus Christ and you're already on the inside with him. And so look with me in verse 10. He goes on to say this. We have an altar from which those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. The altar you've been rejected from isn't even worth comparing with the one that you've been accepted at. So don't let anyone's rejection of you define you and what you do. Proverbs 29, 25 says the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So a question for you this morning. Whose circle are you most concerned about belonging to? Whose circle are you most scared of being cast outside of this morning? Is there somebody specific that comes to mind? Is there a group of people that you tend to act one way around when in secret you know you are an entirely other way? And what does it look like to follow Jesus no matter what anyone thinks of you or no matter what anyone could ever, ever, ever do to you? 
Listen to the author of Hebrews continue in this language of being cast to the outside in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The threefold mention of the word outside is playing on this idea of getting rejected by the temple system in Jerusalem. The bodies of animal sacrifices are burned outside. Jesus also suffered outside. Therefore, let us go to him outside. Yes, you might be cast outside and rejected in the presence of men. But praise God for those who have put their trust in Jesus. You will never be cast out from the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, everyone that the Father gives to me will come to me, not might will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And if you want to nerd out a little bit, the word never, we don't have double negatives in English, but in John 6, 37, and in the Greek language, there's a double negative. He will never, no, never cast you out. Do you believe that this morning? Yes. Yes. Have you rested in the deep acceptance and delight that Jesus Christ has towards you who believe that he died for you, he shed his blood for you, he rose for you, and on this Pentecost Sunday, he sent his spirit to come and move into you. No, his address is no longer in the temple in Jerusalem. Do you know he moved, brothers and sisters? He moved out of the temple into, in Jerusalem, and he, he has a brand new address. And you want to know where that address is? Look in the mirror. It's your heart. Praise God. He wanted to get that close to you. He didn't even want to live next to you. He wanted to live within That's what we celebrate on this Pentecost Sunday. And so, hold on a second. I have my papers out of order. (laughs) Oh, it's all good. In verse 12, the word sanctify is a huge word for this book of Hebrews and for your life. The word sanctify in verse 12 simply means this. You're set apart for God and for God alone. You've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. You belong to God. This is one of the greatest truths of the gospel. I'm not my own. I am beloved, but I also belong to the Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. Sanctify speaks to the beauty and power of belonging to and being beloved by the true and living God. Psalm 16, David says, The boundary lines have been set for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you believe that the lines God has set around you are beautiful this morning? And have you tasted and seen how good, how good, how good, how good he is? And how did Jesus secure all of this for you? An acceptance that you don't have to earn or deserve? A promise that not only has he started a good work in you, but he'll be sure to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus? The promise that he'll never cast you out, he'll never leave you or forsake you? Or like in Hebrews 13, 6, That the Lord is your helper personally? What can man do to you? Whom shall you fear? That's all yours. And how did he secure all of that for you for free without you having to offer anything to earn or deserve it? Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered. 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to set us apart, sanctify us through his own blood. So in essence, the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, brothers and sisters, don't worry about being on anyone's outside when you're already on the inside with God. Amen? Amen. You don't need to worry about being cast out from the presence of men when you've been accepted in the presence of God. And don't worry if your membership expires in the temporary city of Jerusalem when you've got an eternal and lasting city to look forward to. Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but if you're a follower of Jesus, suffering is always inevitable. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Acts, it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. He said to his disciple Timothy, he said, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You will suffer, it's inevitable. We suffer affliction because we live in a fallen and broken world. We experience temptation because of our sinful flesh are working against the desires of God who lives in us, who have our faith in Jesus. We suffer opposition because the scripture says you have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there are all kinds of places when you're suffering to be tempted to seek out for comfort, for safety, for acceptance. When the hard times come, there's all kinds of temptations to seek out someone or something other than Jesus for your comfort, your safety, and your acceptance. But no one and nothing can or will be ever able to truly sustain you through the hardships of life except and exclusively like Jesus can. The big therefore in this morning's text is right there in verse 13. Therefore, let us what? Anybody got it? Go to him. Therefore, let us go to him. Therefore, let us go to him. Therefore, let us go to him. Oh, don't worry about these notes, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, let us go to him. Outside the camp, bearing his reproach and his shame. No matter what it costs. No matter where he leads us. No matter what you have to suffer in the process. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us go to him. And so a question this morning, have you gone to Jesus? Not therefore, let us go to the people whose acceptance we long for. Or go to the books and podcasts and whatever else that we might need to, to go to to curry favor with this group or that group. There's so many groups that want you. And who cares when you've got acceptance in Jesus Christ? Therefore, let us go to Him. Bearing His approach and bearing His suffering. In a crowd of this size, it's very likely that somebody here has never gone to Jesus. You might have gone to really good things, but now it's time to go to the greatest thing, it's him. You might have gone to church. You might have gone to friends. You might have gone to family. You might have gone to good teaching. You might have gone to all kinds of things that in themselves aren't bad. But have you gone to Jesus this morning? And if you've never, ever gone to him personally, may today be the goodness gracious. This is awesome. And the Facebook Live people are watching the sideways. <laughs> Fantastic. 
came on the first Pentecost Sunday with a mighty rushing wind. Therefore, go to Jesus. Don't wait another day if you've never gone to him. This is the one who suffered rejection with you. Yes, with you first. If you're suffering rejection from someone this morning, may I say a word to you that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and cries your tears with you. He wants to offer you help and healing in a time of your tears. And not only did he suffer rejection with you, he suffered rejection for you. That he suffered not only outside the city gate, but outside the very presence of God. Although he never sinned. See, it's the beauty of the wedding ring. There's a German theologian by the name of Martin Luther, and he says this. He says, when we put on the wedding ring of faith in Jesus, here's the beauty of this marriage. Everything that belongs to him now belongs to us, and everything that now belongs to us belongs to him. We share in this thing with Jesus Christ. So you put on the wedding ring of faith, and all your sins gets transferred over to him. All your shame gets transferred over to him. All the punishment you deserve in being cast out from the presence of God. He says, I'll take that on myself on that cross. And you, here's the trade I want to make with you. Put your trust in me and all the acceptance of favor I have with the Father is yours. All of my righteousness is yours. All of my delight and goodness and power to overcome this sinful and broken world and your sinful and broken heart. I want to take that heart out of you and put a new heart in you. Put a new spirit in you. I'm moving in. If you've never gone to Jesus, don't wait another minute. Let this be your day. And don't hide that inside and tell somebody about it. Talk to somebody here because we want to talk to you. For the rest of us, have you made a continual daily habit of going to Jesus? May you continue to go to him. Because he's so good to you. There's no one better. May you continually, every day, taste and see and draw your strength from the fact that he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good. And how has the acceptance of Christ on your life transformed your life this morning? If we had time to turn to one another, and perhaps we do after, after the last worship song, but tell somebody how good he's been and how he's changed your life. We don't have time to teach the rest of that text this morning. But if you look at all of those next things, those next commands and those following verses, they're all the fruit of somebody who's tasted and seen that he's good. One of my best friends, we had, um, anybody have Marianne Donut Kitchen? It's on, yeah, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking, and you go, woo, because you love it. They make these things called cronuts, and I, I asked my best friend to try one the other day, and uh, Christy, she was sitting there across the table from me, and she takes a bite of this cronut, and she goes, oh boy, that's good. Here's the thing, you can't help but give praise when you know something's good. You can't help but give praise when you've tasted and seen that it's good. It comes natural. Nobody has to force you to do it. When you've tasted and seen that Jesus Christ is good, you offer him the sacrifice of praise. It just comes out of your lips. And so he goes on to say, offer the sacrifice of praise. Because it's the fruit of knowing that he's been that good to you. Do good and share. Why? Because he's been so good to you. He shared everything that he has with you. How could we not be open-handed with our stuff? Goodness gracious. He's so good. And then... Oh, what does it say next? I don't have my notes anymore. <laughs> Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why do you do that? It's out of it's out of this deep reflection and submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. We obey our leaders and submit to them as an extension of our obedience and submission to Him. 
and for leaders in the body of Christ, to those of you who lead in some capacity in this family of God, it says to you, do it with joy. Why? Because the Savior did it joyfully for you, even when he had to suffer the shame of the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this morning, one final question, where in your life might you be experiencing the pain of rejection? Would you go to the Savior and be reminded this morning and rest your heart in the fact this morning that you have a God who, if you've trusted in Him and if you come to Him, He will never cast you out. He'll give your weary soul rest. He'll heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. Therefore, let us go to Him. Therefore, let us go to Him. Therefore, let us go to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. There's no one good like you. There's no one holy like you. There's no one worthy like you. And we're only here this morning to go to you. And so I pray that there would not be a single heart in this place, in this parking lot this morning, that would leave here without the depth of joy, depth of comfort, depth of healing, depth of grace. Thank you, Lord, for receiving us and never casting us out. In Jesus' name.